Hello, welcome to Deepak Casts, a podcast series from the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center at the University of Notre Dame. My name's Ted Barron. I'm the executive director of the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center. And this series, Indie Film, we are taking a closer look at some of the major works from the history of American independent cinema. This week, we're going to turn our attention to a film from 1978 directed by Claudia Weil, and that film is Girlfriends. Um, and Girlfriends comes at an interesting moment in that um, the if we look back to kind of the history of um, not only American independent cinema, but American cinema more generally, um, the 1970s are seen as kind of a period of great change for uh, the Hollywood film industry. Um, this is a period in which uh, the, what's known as the new Hollywood directors uh, come of age, also known as the movie brats. Uh, these were the first generation of directors who had the pedigree of having attended film school, which informed a lot of the works that they made. And these uh, include some very notable uh, directors such as Francis Ford Coppola, Peter Bogdanovich, Martin Scorsese, George Lucas, Brian De Palma, Paul Schrader, and of course, Steven Spielberg. Uh, many of these directors came of age through their experiences working on smaller productions. And uh, interestingly, um, Roger Corman, uh, who's someone I referenced in um, our last episode where we talked about exploitation films relative to Night of the Living Dead, uh, was a key figure at American International Pictures, also known as AIP, and then later his own company, New World Pictures. Um, at uh, those... Uh, when Corman worked for those companies, he he gave a lot of these filmmakers their first uh, opportunities to to make films. So uh, notably, Francis Ford Coppola makes Dementia 13, Martin Scorsese makes Boxcar Bertha, um, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this, this connection to um, the independent film world, even though these are directors who ultimately become part of the studio system. Um, as the studio system itself was kind of falling apart in the 1960s, it was hemorrhaging money on bigger budget flops in the 1960s, they recruited these young, younger talents who they saw as making films that were quite effective and more efficient um, and actually gave them a lot of creative license uh, to make films that they wanted to make in the hopes that something would connect and it would start to turn around the fortunes of the studios. And uh, the, this period of transition sees a really interesting uh, uh, group of films that are released, which you know really marked uh, significant changes within the industry. So films like Bonnie and Clyde, The Graduate, Easy Rider, uh, MASH, The Godfather, What's Up Doc, American Graffiti, and then ultimately Jaws, which um, establishes a new industry standard for the Hollywood blockbuster. So in this, when when this period is talked about. Um, histories tend to focus on kind of this boys club of directors who were very close-knit, um, spent a lot of time together. They were vocal in their opinions about each other's work. They would often give feedback um, on each other's films uh, when they were in development. Uh, but more recent studies of this period have identified the role of women. Uh, and uh, in particular, writer uh, Maya Montañez-Smuckler, whose book uh, Liberating Hollywood, Women Directors and Feminist Reform of 1970s American Cinema, um, attempts to, if not rewrite, uh, certainly expand on this, on this history and this, this really seminal period in, in American film history. 
Um, and, you know, when we get uh, when we consider um, how women advance during this period, think about somebody like Elaine May, who had made her name through her longtime partnership with Mike Nichols, who would go on to direct The Graduate and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Um, May herself becomes one of the great comedic directors of this period with films uh, like A New Leaf and The Heartbreak Kid. Um, there's a question. There's questions around the last picture show. Peter Bogdanovich's um, not his first film, but certainly the first film to have uh, a major impact and really turn him into uh, the next big thing. Um, would he have had the success that he did if his then wife Polly Platt uh, wasn't uh, heavily involved in uh, the production of the film and and helping to in helping him to realize uh, the vision that was reflected in that work? Would Martin Scorsese's legacy be any different? Um, if he didn't, if he didn't rely so consistently on the, the often brilliant editing of somebody like uh, Thelma Schoonemaker, um, Robert Altman uh, actually starts to gain more, uh, w- much wider recognition thanks to his partnership with screenwriter Joan Tewksbury, uh, who did uh, all of the research on um, uh, on Nashville, among other films. Um, so this this period of the 1970s is kind of a fascinating opportunity moment of opportunity for women um, in the new Hollywood where they're often overshadowed by their more um, familiar and why and there's question as to why they're more familiar um, male counterparts. Um, but in the realm of, of, of if we if we kind of narrow this down to the scope of um, indie film, we actually see some really prominent women um, emerge. Uh, during this period. So there's directors such as Barbara Loden, who, whose one and only feature, Wanda, is now recognized as uh, one of the essential films of this period. Uh, Joan Micklin-Silver, whose uh, low-budget fe- feature debut, Hester Street, um, earned an Academy Award nomination for Carol Kane. Um, but it's Claudia uh, Weil's Girlfriends, which may have had the most lasting legacy, if we think about um, just the impact on filmmakers today, and we'll, and we'll get to that eventually. Um, so Claudia Weil was um, educated at Harvard um, and um, took up her career in film uh, kind of working definitely outside of the, uh, of the, of the more mainstream industry. Uh, she worked on short films, on uh, programs like Sesame Street, uh, and then had uh, some success as a director of documentary films, most notably um, her collaboration with Joyce Chopra on uh, the film Joyce at 34, which was an autobiographical account of Chopra's um, uh, pregnancy and, and birth of her first child and how that uh, affected her life at, at age 34, thus the title. Uh, just as a side note, Chopra would actually go on to direct several other documentaries before moving into narrative uh, feature uh, filmmaking. Um, and a great example of that is 1985's uh, uh, very underrated, really powerful film, uh, Smooth Talk, which is having a bit of a revival recently. Um, but in addition to Joyce at 34, uh, while also uh, co-directed The Other Half of the Sky, a China memoir, which was a project she, she uh, co-directed with actress Shirley MacLaine, which uh, earned her an Oscar nomination for Best Documentary Feature. But Girlfriends was her first uh, narrative feature film. 
And it's a pretty low-key affair, um, but incredibly effective in the way that it goes about um, presenting the world of its characters. Melanie Mayron stars as Susan, who's a photographer, um, who's you know kind of trying to find her way both career-wise, but then also in her personal relationships. Um, of those relationships, probably the one that's most important to her is uh, her her roommate Anne. Um, they they have a very close friendship. Um, Anne shares with uh, Susan that she's uh, planning to get married to her longtime boyfriend, and this kind of sets the events of the film in motion. Um, Susan goes on a search for companionship, um, and we get. Uh, kind of a, a, a witty and really insightful portrait of life in late 70s New York City um, where, you know, kind of the the troubles of the city during this period, which have been well documented, are not ignored, but they're not, they're not centered within the film. It really focuses more on this um, female friendship, uh, which, um, you know, becomes quite moving. And especially if we try to think about uh, the roles of women in the film industry uh, and the challenges that women were facing in the film industry at the time of the film's production, it becomes all the more significant. So um, Girlfriends was originally structured as a short film um, and then expanded into a feature, uh, feature length. We'll see this approach again when uh, later on in our series when we talk about uh, Jim Jarmusch's Stranger Than Paradise. Uh, so as a short film, it, uh, it received funding from the American Film Institute, but through a series of grants that Weil received from uh, the NEA and the New York State Council on the Arts, uh, she was able to expand it into a feature, um, but that took some time. Uh, she actually began production on began working on the film in 1975, and while the actual production schedule was only about a month and a half long, that month and a half was spread out over a period of three years, uh, during which time she gradually secured the funding that she needed to to finish the project. Um, so it was a so it was a fairly significant effort uh, that went into making the film, even though it has kind of this low key, um, kind of quiet quality to it. Um, but those efforts paid off because um, she brought the film to Hollywood and was able to make a deal with Warner Brothers, uh, who released the film in 1978. Upon the film's uh, release, uh, the film received. Um, uh, strong reviews. Uh, Stanley Kubrick uh, declared it was his favorite film of the year uh, for 1978. Uh, but it also tapped into kind of a zeitgeist of films that uh, reflected what the New York Times referred to as the new woman in cinema. So we see um, a lot of women's issues being reflected in, in films throughout the 1970s, but in particular, uh, the Times piece focuses on uh, films like An Unmarried Woman, uh, Julia, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, The Turning Point, Three Sisters, recognizing that um, in these films uh, we were seeing a more sophisticated, more complicated portrayal of female characters uh, than really anything that had preceded it and that there seemed to be um, an effort to center women within uh, within films in a more meaningful way. Um, but it should be noted that among these films, those are all films that were directed by men. Um, Girlfriends um, stands out among other reasons because it was one of the few uh, films to to be directed by uh, to be di directed by a woman that that spoke to those concerns. Um, so uh, with Girlfriends, Wiles started to get more opportunities as a filmmaker, um, but ultimately she would only direct one more feature film. 
through Hollywood, um, and that was the 1980 uh, romantic comedy It's My Turn, starring uh, Jill Clayburgh and Michael Douglas, um, which is a fairly forgettable piece, uh, certainly not as, not as personal as something like Girlfriends. Uh, but the, the sad story behind that production is that she worked with Ray Stark, uh, who was the producer on the film, and he created such a toxic environment, environment for her uh, that she decided that she made a conscious effort, to, a conscious decision to, you know, no longer work on feature films and really established herself uh, more successfully as a director of television. Um, she directed episodes of uh, Cagney and Lacey, 30-something, My So-Called Life. Um, and other uh, other notable TV shows. She was kind of a go-to for um, kind of quality television in the 80s and into the 1990s. Um, more recent reappraisals of Girlfriends, which had you know partly um, you know has been kind of underrecognized because it really hasn't been available uh, that widely, even though it was distributed by Warner Brothers. Uh, but it was recently reissued by the Criterion Collection, which has um, uh, brought the film to a lot of new audiences. Um, but among the fans of the film are people like Wes Anderson, um, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach arguably draw very heavily uh, from this film uh, when, uh, when they make their own film about you know, a young woman uh, kind of trying to make it in New York City uh, with the film Francis Ha. Um, so we see a lot of resemblances there. And then Lena Dunham, who uh, has talked about the film, that she's kind of acknowledges that uh, she, even though she didn't see the film until much later, she realized that she was probably um, unwittingly stealing uh, quite extensively from the film uh, in, in some of her own work. And she actually invited uh, Weil to direct one of the episodes of uh, her HBO series Girls, um, kind of paying homage to um, – uh, a really great talent. But, um, uh, you know, it's it's hard to kind of, you know, when we take an auteurist lens on directors like this, it's it's sometimes hard to give um, people the recognition that maybe they're due because in the case of somebody like Weil who only made two narrative feature films, we don't have a lot to draw from. Similarly, Barbara Loden, um, whose film Wanda was her only um, uh, uh, major directorial effort. Um, but we have to sort of couch that within the conditions under which, you know, women really weren't given as much opportunity. So the fact that you even have the level of success among women uh, directors, writers, producers, editors uh, during this period in the 1970s um, is pretty remarkable, um, especially given uh, so many of the, the barriers and obstacles that they faced. So that uh, does it for this episode. We'll be back uh, with our next episode where we'll continue our study of American independent film.